We're in Luke chapter 23 today. We've been working prior to this through the Gospels and noting the commands that Jesus gave, trying to uh, fulfill in some kind of fashion his command in the Great Commission, not only to go into the world and make disciples and baptize them, but he said that teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And we're looking at those commands that he gave, the verbs that are in the imperative tense in, in the Bible, and uh, noting those. And we're almost three quarters through that, I think a little, maybe, maybe two thirds. But I want to take a break a little bit from that and uh, point our thoughts towards the cross and noting the seven different sayings that Christ spoke while he's on the cross. And we pointed out to you in the introduction of our first lesson that uh, these sayings are very short sayings because uh, the death of the cross wasn't from loss of blood or, or a beating, uh, but it was from a fixation. They had to constantly be pushed, pushed up to get the pressure off of their pectoral muscles to be able to breathe. And you re remember that the tooth, Christ gave his life into the high hands I commend my spirit. He gave his life, but the other two thieves were still alive and they came along and broke their legs so they no longer could push up and shortly they suffocated. And so these seven sayings are very, very short. And last week we noted, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And today we're going to look there in verse 43 and see what he said to one of the malefactors hanging there on the cross with him. And Luke 23, and beginning in verse 26. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people, of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus saying unto them, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps that never gave suck. And they shall, and then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things in the green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him with them and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they parted his garments and cast lots. And we noted that saying last week. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also, 
with him, berided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocking him, coming to him, and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And the superscription was written over them in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. This is a, a very informative passage of scripture. And of course this saying very informative too. In it, uh, we'll first talk about it. We have, uh, we have a lot concerning uh, the doctrine of salvation found, found in the events here at the cross and culminating with this saying, but I send to thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. First of all, this account of Jesus and the two malefactors, it, 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 refutes, it refutes the idea of purgatory. Purgatory and the teaching of purgatory was a good moneymaker in the Catholic Church. That you could work your way or your, your relatives could work your way out of a place of punishment and not quite hell yet in between and you would have time to escape or be delivered from the agony of the place of punishment but on this day Jesus didn't say you know in a month after you've been in purgatory you shall be with me in paradise but he said no today Thou shalt be with me in paradise. There was no purgatory then, and there's no purgatory now. Also, we have this idea, uh, it, refutes, uh, it, it refutes universal salvation. There's a... I don't know what percentage we'd get, but I'm sure it'd be way above 50%, 75%, maybe 80%. If we went downtown and began to do a survey and we asked people uh, what they believed happened after they died. And if we asked them, will you be uh, going to heaven after you die? And most of them would say, yeah, I'm a good person and I expect to go to heaven. And it's this idea that, that salvation is universal. It's this idea that that, that Christ died for everyone, and he did die for everyone, and everyone automatically is saved. Well, we find in this passage that only, the Lord only spoke to one of the malefactors and not to both of them. And so he never promised both that they would be in paradise. Uh, third, uh, it, re it, it refutes um, soul sleep. 
there's a group that uh, Jehovah Witnesses and I'm not sure who else that believe that when you die, your soul doesn't go to God who gave it. The Bible talks about that when we die, the soul returns to God who gave it. And the soul is eternal. But the Jehovah Witnesses maintain that your soul and body are buried together. Your soul is still there, but it's just sleeping in the ground. And then one day they'll be raised out of the ground. Well, there's no soul sleeping here. Jesus said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And it wasn't waiting for some future event that was going to raise the dead. This also contradicts uh, baptismal regeneration well for that fact it contradicts any kind of work works for regeneration or works for salvation because uh, this this thief on the cross did not have the opportunity to come off the cross and be baptized so that he might he might um, receive salvation through the act of baptism. Now, some will say, you know, that the New Testament age, we're still in the Old Testament age there, and the New Testament age isn't going to be begun until Jesus dies. But Jesus built his, he, he, we don't have time to go through all that, but Jesus started his own church personally in, uh, in his own personal ministry. So the New Testament age you remember uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I think I was here, I was preaching in lots of places the last, last couple of weeks, but the law and the prophets were until John. That was John the Baptist, the Old Testament age ended and the New Testament age began. And so the saying about uh, baptism uh, and needing to do baptism to be saved, it's not, it's not the fact that when Jesus is on the cross, they're still doing an Old Testament period, but no, the New Testament was there, and he didn't have to be saved. That He didn't have to be baptized. Over 100 years ago, quite a bit over 100 years ago now, baptismal regeneration was refuted in by J.R. Gray, and he said this, the theory that baptism is essential to salvation is called in practice today by the overwhelming mass of professed Christians, by all Catholics and by all Protestant sects, as well as by many hundreds of thousands who do not class themselves with Protestants as the Camelites and the Mormons and other sects. Let me read you some things that these religions say. Greek Orthodox Church says in their statements of faith and their um, teaching documents, holy baptism is appointed is the appointed sacrament of salvation by which all past sins are washed away and without which there is no promise of salvation. And so they teach that baptism washes away all your past sins. And if you're not baptized, there's no promise of salvation. That's works for salvation. The Catholics teach that baptism 
of the church is given for remission of sins, that is the forgiveness of sins. The Lutheran church in their statements of faith said, baptism is not mere water only, but water put into God's command and united with God's word. It affects the forgiveness of sins, redeems from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe it. And so somehow, Baptism works hand in hand with God's word, and it, it gives them remission of sins uh, from, and eternal salvation. Now, the Presbyterians, they kind of they waver because, of course, Presbyterians are Calvinists. But baptism, it says, baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ, not only for the solemn admission of the party to be baptized into the visible church, and so they say that baptism puts you into that local visible church, but it's also, but it has something else. But it's also to be unto him a sign and a seal of the covenant of grace, of his engrafting into Christ, of regeneration, of remission of sins, and his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life. And so somehow it's a sign of those things and benefits salvation. If baptism is indeed a seal, because it says it's a sign and a seal, it's a seal of the covenant of grace, then no one ever was or can be saved without baptism because baptism seals it. And so if it's a seal of grace, then it's necessary to secure it. If we talk about seal being an identification or seal, if I seal the door, I've secured the door. Episcopal Church says we believe it to be spatially and through the sacrament of baptism that the Holy Ghost acts in re renova renovating the nature which became corrupt through the apostasy. And so somehow baptism uh, renovates you. We really think that no fair, no straightforward dealing can get rid of the conclusion that the church holds what is called baptismal regeneration. John Wesley said, uh, of course, the, the beginning of the Methodist said, it is certain that our church supposes that all who are baptized in infancy are at the same time born again. <laughs> and it is allowed that the whole office of baptism of infants proceeds upon this supposition. And so, you know, at one time I thought, well, maybe the Catholics only have it wrong, and these Protestants, Protestants, the ones who protested against the Catholic Church maybe have a right, uh, but they don't. And let's remember, the Baptists do not trace their lineage back to the Reformation, but they trace it back to Christ. Now, let's examine, let's examine here. Let's examine these uh, three crosses and those that are upon them and see where the difference really lies here. Why did one go to heaven and one not? And, and actually, it's a good study because everybody that's here this morning, you're either on one cross or the other cross. Your, your mindset aligns with one cross or aligns with the other cross. You either, you either have the hope in your life that Today I'll be with him in paradise, and I have a home in heaven, or you have no hope at all, 
at which the Lord never spoke any hope to the other man. And so we can learn much from this. The one in paradise, it wasn't, it wasn't that the, uh, that, that, um, it wasn't that one was better than the other. They were both thieves. They were both a thief. If you look with me in Mark chapter 15, they required capital punishment by the government of Rome, and so they, were, they weren't uh, good people. They were bad dudes to the place that capital punishment was required of them. And in Mark chapter 15 and verse 27, and with him they crucified two thieves, the one on the right hand and the other on the left. Both of them were were men that were criminals. Both of them had committed sins that were identified and punished by the government. And so these men are not innocent men. They're not good men in any sense of the word, but they are criminals. Also, drop back to Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew chapter 27, both were thieves, and both and both of them, both of them mocked. They both they both mocked the Lord. I don't know if you realize that or not, but at one point here on the cross, both of them are mocking Jesus. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 41. It says, likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and the elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be king of the Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if, we will, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves, not just one, but the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth and his applies to both of those, not to just the individual. Uh, Matthew 15.32 says that, and they that were crucified with him reviled him. And so, uh, it's not that one is better than the other. They were both bad. Both of them mocked. Both of them were thieves. And we find in the, in the Bible that God has no, res no respect of persons in the sense of one can be seen to be of better quality <laughs> when he already says we're altogether unprofitable. Or one can be seen to do better stuff. Romans says, for there is no respect of persons with God. Isaiah says, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. <clears throat> And so if we hope that somehow we're going to get to heaven, or one of these thieves went to heaven because he was, a, he was the better of the two, uh, it's not a, a matter of, uh, of uh, Pastor used this term when he preached one, one time, but it's not a matter of degree of sin, but it's a matter of the defect of sin. That I'm defective. That I have the sin nature. 
And that must be changed. And so we're filthy rags in our righteousness. We're already, John 3.18 says, we're condemned already. It's not a matter of so much building up in my life till I'm condemned, but I'm condemned because of my nature. And we're altogether unprofitable. Okay, so it wasn't that one was better than the other. <clears throat> Neither was it that this that one reformed and the other did not reform. It wasn't that somehow one got better in that moment on, on the cross. Some maintain that when uh, Christ came to this world, that Christ, that Christ came to the world to be, to be a signpost pointing us the way to heaven. And what do I mean by that? That Christ came to show us how we could live a good life that would open the door to heaven for us. And, and much of that is... And, much of that is preached in Christendom, in, in what we identify as Christendom, that, that Jesus came showing us the way. He came, he came to live a good life. He came to give us an example. But, but Jesus didn't say that he was the example to follow, the signpost showing how it should be done or the way which should be traveled. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so it wasn't one reforming and becoming better. And we've already alluded to the fact it's not that one would, one of them obeyed the sacraments. I'm not really very familiar with the Catholic Church, but but there's more of a sacraments than just the baptism and communion. I think there's like seven of them. Um, I always thought if you have a good offense, you don't need to be have a defense. <laughs> you know, if you know what you believe, you automatically know what's wrong. And so it wasn't that the sacraments were, were performed by one and the other didn't. He had, didn't have time to be baptized. He didn't have time to have communion. And uh, the Bible is pretty plain that, that baptism follows salvation and it's a likeness. Okay, so it was none of those. Both were thieves, both mocked. Neither one of them reformed. Neither one of them could take place in the sacraments. But the difference was the difference, my mountain kind of got in the fog here somehow. The difference is, the difference was in uh, the view, how they perceived Jesus Christ, how they looked upon him. One saw Christ as a mere man, and a man. Not just a mere man, but a very unique man. A man that had some power. A man that, that uh, it was to be reckoned with. 
Because he said, uh, he said he, one of them said to the, to the Lord, he said, uh, uh, save us, you know, save, save, save both of us. Uh, and the other had no response like that. Uh, he, he, um, he said the other included to include himself in the us when he's, well, let's look at, I'm uh, looking verses 39 through 42 in our text in Luke 23. I'm hoping this is the right place. Luke 23 and 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And so uh, he knew something about the teaching of Christ, and they thought he was a powerful man that was going to come and can save them. And so he... Uh, he, he saw Jesus as a man, uh, but the other one saw him, saw him as much more than a man, but he saw him as the Lord. He doesn't include himself in verse 40, uh, uh, in verse 40, but the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Dost thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And so he didn't address him. He didn't address him. He didn't command, address him in a, in a fashion where he considered an equal or someone who could save him. This man, this man was only looking for what he could get from the one on the center cross. He, he, it, was only, it was all about him. But this man would not even, even dare claim that he deserved anything. And he addresses him as, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And we'll get a lot more out of that pretty quick. But uh, this idea that to be saved, not only do you need to repent of your sins, but you need to receive Jesus as Lord. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling that there's churches that say, no, you don't have to, that, that you can believe in Jesus. And really, it boils down to a head belief is what they're teaching. You can believe in Jesus, but you don't really have to make him Lord until later in your life. But Romans clearly says, If thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so we're not, you know, they try to blow it all out of proportion and say, you know, if we're going to make him Lord, we have to do all this and this and this and this. Well, the fact of the matter is this. We do not make him Lord. He's Lord. And when we confess him as Lord, we're saying, you're the Lord of my life. I've surrendered to you. I'm giving my life over to you. That, that there's something spiritual happens. There's something happens on the soul level and not just the brain level. And many people, you know, are going, are claiming salvation because the zealous soul winner has got him to a word of prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner, and claimed that... He, 
God promises that you'll pray that prayer, that you'll be saved, and there's nothing really passed between them and God. <clears throat> One of them, um, well, let me, let me just settle here for a little bit. Um, this thing about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Colossians says, Who is the image of the invisible God? the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created, they're in heaven and the earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he's the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Well, the Lord has preeminence in all things. And surely, this is, what, uh, this is what we find the record of in the Bible. When Paul was saved, he said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? When Paul and Silas were speaking to the Philippian jailer, they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. We've already quoted, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, and why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And so they, the one, saw him as a unique man. And, and many people today, in, in when, we, when you talk to them about Jesus Christ, they will say, yeah, he was a very unique man. He was, he was uh, dynamic. He was kind. He did many good things. And, but, but... They won't go as far enough to say that he was Lord. And a number of years ago, uh, C.S. Lewis kind of uh, thought that through. And he said, he said, one thing that you can't say about Jesus is that he was just a good man. Because, because if he wasn't God, as he said he was, he was a liar. And if he wasn't a liar this Lord liar or lunatic, if he wasn't a liar and he, and he took this thing so far that he, he died doing it, then he was a crazy man. And so we only have really three choices concerning Jesus Christ. He was either a liar because he claimed to be God. He was a crazy man because he pushed it to the limit till he died on the cross or he was Lord. And the... Uh, outstanding evidence both in our own hearts and in the word of God is that he is Lord. So if that's the case, then we ought to obey God rather than men. <clears throat> the difference between um, the two is that this one here, when he, when, he, when, he, when he viewed, looked at the other two crosses, he saw, he saw in his own mind, here's a guy who's guilty, Rome's crucifying him, here's another guy that's guilty, and, and he, just, he looked at them being in the same boat that he was in. But uh, 
The other thief said, we're justly condemned, and this man has done nothing. Look in verse 41 of chapter 23. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. He's done nothing. Peter tells us, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. For we have a high priest which cannot be touched with a, we do not have a high priest which cannot be touched with the, with the feelings of our infirmities, but in all points was, was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And so one says, says, I'm, 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 uh, I'm condemned with the rest of them. Uh, I, I'm done with this. Uh, condemned with, with the rest of them. And the others said, no, we're condemned justly. One saw Jesus as an imposter, while the other saw him as an intercessor. The one mocked, and the other said, in verse 42, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Lord, do you intercede for me. Lord, you help me. The other one simply mocked. And uh, much of what's done in the world today is Jesus is mocked. Jesus is laughed at. To witness to someone, ah, I don't want to hear that, you know. I, 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 don't give me that junk. But the, but the thief that went to, to paradise said, uh, Lord, remember me. And, and uh, he saw Jesus as someone that would intercede for him, remember me. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. One saw him as a crazy man, a kook, a guilty man, a criminal, and the other saw him as a king. This one on the center cross was some nut that claimed to be God. He was some nut that refused to say that, no, I'm not the king of the Jews. He was some religious teacher that had gone haywire. He took it to a fanatical level, to such a fanatical level that it cost him his life. He was a martyr who foolishly put himself in a position that required his death. But the other said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What a lot there. He knew that he was a king. And he knew that when he died, that wasn't the end of him. Because he was going to his kingdom. And he knew that we've all, what we've already said, that he could intercede, that he had power to intercede. He had power to stand in his place, interceding between God and man. While the other did not. He knew that he was going to rise again He would see him ruling at the right hand of the Father. 
he would understand that he had a kingdom. Now, look at the outcome here. To the one, to the one man, no words of comfort were even spoken. Jesus didn't even address him. No deliverance is promised. Because uh, he was guilty. He was guilty by the law of the land. And he was guilty by the law of God. 1 Corinthians says, Know ye not that unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abuse themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. He'd already stood condemned. And he has no words of comfort. He's condemned already. But on the other hand, this one who acknowledges Jesus as Lord, and he says unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into my kingdom. Jesus speaks to him. And Jesus says unto him, verily, which means truly, this is what I'm, what I'm telling you is going to happen. It's a sure deal. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, is sometimes doubled in the Bible. I say unto thee, who is saying this? Well, the God of all creation, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Not someday, not one day, not maybe a day, but today. If you stand over here with this thief, let me say to you that today you can be saved. And know for a surety that you are going to be in paradise. And these words this morning are especially uh, are especially precious to me. Because last night my brother had a massive stroke and lies in the hospital fighting for his life today. But if he goes on, he goes to see a grandfather that neither he or I ever saw, but who was born again. He goes to see our mother and our father that have passed on, knowing the Lord is their Savior. And he goes to see the king. In a place called paradise to be 
there forever. Think of it. Here's a man knowing that shortly he's going to die. He's hanging on the cross. He's struggling for life, pushing up, trying to get air. And the Lord speaks to him. Today, you're going to be with me. All you that are saved this morning, take comfort in the fact that we're going to be with him. And a place is prepared for us. And there's paradise waiting for us. And we get to see this malefactor, this thief, who was guilty with nothing to say, walking the streets of gold, because God had made him a new creature and will fellowship with him. Okay, really good sayings from Christ from the cross that are intended to speak to us about the person of Jesus and his benefit to you and I. You're dismissed.